Welcome, Path Folk, to the Find the Path Ventures After Party Live, number six. Woohoo! And we're, we're here. here. Indeed. <laughs> we are all here. Well, I am here. Um, I am Rick Sandage. I am your host. I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Jessica and Jordan Jenkins. Hello! That's me. And uh, we are here at the beginning of uh, what I think Rachel, at the very least, has been calling for the last three months, the spooky season. Spooky uh, season! Spooky season. <laughs> She pulls Rachel a Christmas a with huge, Halloween. I was yeah. Gonna, yeah, it's like some people are really into Christmas. Rachel is very into Halloween. Like she has a sandworm that just lives in the front yard all the time. Yeah, it's permanent. It's, it's like permanent Christmas trees, but you know the spooky edition. Yep, just kind of lives out there. She's been wanting that like twelve foot tall Jack Skellington. Yeah, we haven't gotten it yet. We'll see. But next Christmas yeah, present. Maybe. Next Christmas. <laughs> Every time. So yeah, welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. As we are uh, basically sitting down to uh, to talk a little bit about horror games. Tis the season, as it were. It, it is the most appropriate of topics this month. It is Indeed. true. We are all uh, we all have a number of uh, fillings and all the rest of that stuff pertaining towards uh we have towards feelings, horror. We have fillings. Um, I am obviously a huge horror fan. Um, some amongst us less so. That's me. But uh, <laughs> that's Jordan. And so we thought we'd give you a variety of different opinions and all the rest of that stuff on running horror games, because a lot of people are probably going to be doing horror one shots this time of year. You know, I used to do a uh, classic get together on Halloween itself because, you know, I was in the, the the 20 to 30 range where you're too old to go trick or treating, but you're not old enough to actually decorate for Halloween or do uh, parties. Jessica now hosts uh, murder mystery parties for Halloween, which we're going to be doing Yearly this year. Murder Mysteries. Very much yep. uh, looking forward to it. And so uh, we figured we'd have a chance to kind of talk to all of you about uh, about horror in general, um, a subject that I'm rather well versed in, and about uh, horror gaming in particular. And of course, we do want to have the opportunity to answer a few questions from all of you. So we are going to have a Q&A at the end if you have some questions of your own, uh, which I would hope that you would. So uh, yeah, if you have any questions, throw them up in the chat and we'll get to them uh, once we're done kind of uh, having our discussion here. Uh, and as always, if there's anything that we need to change as far as levels are concerned or the cameras or anything like that, please let us know in the chat. Also, uh, Jordan's on the tech side, and I think Jessica's going to be handling all our, all of our uh, questions thrown out there. Indeed. So shall we uh, shall we dive in? Indeed. Yes. I think shall. let's get horrible. All right. <laughs> Thunderclap, lightning, bats fly out of a belfry. <laughs> whole thing. It was a dark dun, and stormy dun, dun. night. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in cataracts. It's a continuation cataracts. of that. Cataracts? Cataracts, yeah. It's not just an I thing. Cataracts it's is also uh, sheets of falling water and all the rest of it. What? Okay, I've never heard remember. that ever. Um, that actually might be know. Edgar Allan Poe making fun of the guy that originally wrote the It Was a Dark and Stormy Night line, uh, which is oh, yeah, a famously sure. bad line, um, kind of espousing purple prose. That's my literary thing. Um, I'll do an entire stream on literary stuff eventually. There's a whole um, contest about, at, at, yeah. I don't remember what the name of it is, but there's a contest for writing, and it has to start with, uh, it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah. Um, I think it was something about, like, rain falling in sheets and blotting out the lanterns and all the rest of that. I read the story once. It didn't mm. impress me. Uh, what does impress me is horror. And so... Just in general. You'll in love, general. You love to be scared. It's true. Um, I do love so, to be scared. 
I guess let's kind of jump into things. Well, again, Jessica, Jessica loves horror. Heck yes. My understanding, like Jessica and Rachel would apparently get together with uh, your friend uh, Ange because her husband didn't yes. like horror. So you'd have like horror viewing parties that you yeah, would we watch uh, nothing but horror. Yeah, I, horror I remember stuff. going down and visiting Ange when they lived down south and like they watched nothing but horror stuff the entire time. And I was on my <laughs> laptop, like doing literally anything else yeah. besides Good horror, and, and, Jordan, horror. and Jordan doesn't do horror. I don't do horror at all. And so you're going to get a variety of opinions here. So that's the whole idea. So I suppose let's go ahead and start with uh, what exactly, let's define what exactly do we mean when we say horror games? Like how is this different from a regular, I'm just playing Pathfinder, I'm just playing Dungeons and Dragons, I'm just playing whatever. So basically the goal of, um, I think we've established that the goal of every TTRPG is to get together with your friends, sit down and enjoy playing a game. A cooperative storytelling experience where all of you sit down and go, we're a bunch of adventurers and we're going into these tombs and pyramids out in the desert and we're going to stop a big bad guy and we're going to do all of this great great adventuring this high fantasy uh, adventuring as it and we all tell the story together or really any kind of adventuring doesn't have to be fantasy it's true yeah any sort of adventuring any sort of story really i mean it doesn't even have to be adventuring if you're wanting to do you know high school drama or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you want to do for your ttrpgs yeah i backed an rpg that was all about an inn and it was just like hanging out throwing birthday parties and living with people in an inn you I'm also just did an that uh, Humblewood one, too, that was all about just being animals. And I think there that was some fighting in that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, let me pull up all my uh, my notes here. Uh-huh. The big difference, however, is with uh, when we're talking horror, um, it's really no different than a standard TTRPG game. Uh, but the definition of what enjoying the game is changes. Mm. Whereas mm-hmm. in most of your standard TTRPGs, your idea of enjoyment is I'm going through, I'm battling against monsters, I'm getting treasure, et cetera, et cetera, uh, accumulating power, making my character stronger, getting further through the plot, uncovering mysteries. With horror, oftentimes the goal is about exploring in a safe space the emotions of fear, of anxiety, uh, putting yourself in a controlled environment where you can experience the tension of being in danger without the actual danger. Uh, that's why people love horror movies because you watch it. That's why you, you love roller go, coasters too, yeah. right? Like yeah. roller coasters are the exact same thing of you're safe, but you're also feeling like you're falling you're, to your death. Yeah, you're tricking your body. People do die on roller coasters occasionally. It's true. <laughs> well, it is rare. It is very rare relative. Yeah, well, it's, the, it's the same reason why many people do a variety of different things that involves basically adrenaline, um, mm. skydiving is going, I'm going to jump out of this perfectly good plane um, because I want to experience what it's like to be plummeting thousands <laughs> of feet. the earth. Yeah, it's like with my bungee jumping, right? It's like, I want to be pulled away from the cusp of death. Yeah. And so with, with exploring horror in TTRPGs, it's the exact same thing, is you're wanting to put yourself into that mind space. It's the same thing when you watch a horror movie. It's the same thing when you watch or when you play a horror video game. If you're an Alien Isolation fan or PT God, or whatever so it scary. is. Yeah. Um, that you're I wanting to put yourself. I have horror video games for sure. 
Well, Rachel's really bad because Rachel likes to cover her face, which is the last thing you can do when you're playing a horror <laughs> video game. impossible to play. I, I was going to yeah. say, like, I remember when Alien Isolation specifically came out, they strapped, like, heart rate sensors to people and, like, were mm-hmm. measuring how much their heart rate was increasing while playing the game. And mm-hmm. I was like, I will never play this game. There's a really good, I enjoy uh, the folks over at uh, Outside Xbox. And they've got the one guy there that he's the Jordan of their group. He's the guy that doesn't like horror <laughs> stuff. And so they're like, you're the one that Shout has to, to play this. Hook on this, you know, this heartbeat monitor uh, while this thing is coming. And like his heartbeat was like standardly at like 130 the entire time. Like they're like, we need to pull him off of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God. Somebody just uh, Eagle King in the chat says isolation has a VR mod it does, now. Actually, Holy um, honestly, I've, I've actually heard uh, Resident Evil 7's VR is really good as well. I don't. Okay, I like horror in all forms, but not as VR. I was playing, or I tried to play. I think the Jurassic Park Jurassic VR, Park. Yeah. and it was so scary. She I was lasted like, less I don't than like five minutes. The <laughs> horror fan lasted less than five minutes before she was like yanking the headset off. Yeah, that's not. I like horror with a safe distance. Like I like it to be on a screen. I don't want to be yeah. surrounded by it. You know. Well, that's that's one of the beauties of playing a TTRPG is you yes. are experiencing horror, but you're doing so completely inside of your own mind. Um, yes. So that you you know, generally speaking, um, I'm sure that there are some game, game masters out there that have hired somebody to do a jump scare or something during a horror game that they're doing, like burst into the room suddenly. Um, I have a you funny have to story. Hire. You I'll, just get cats. Actually, I'll, I will. I'll share this story. So, uh, fun story, real quick. I know we're going on a little off topic early in this one, yeah, but we do what we do. it is still on topic. I ran the second book. I've stated on numerous occasions the second book of uh, Rise of the Rune Lords is my favorite book of any adventure path I've ever run especially the first part of that which does have a very strong horror element to it and Mm -hmm. uh, to give you kind of an example here is I set the scene Um, I took us I took away the battle mat because I didn't want a visual representation for them to explore they had to keep the map in their mind while they're going through this I moved the entirety of the group from the room that we normally play in to play in to a different room Um, basically the uh, the apartment that I was in at the time I had a it was a three bedroom. Uh, we had one room that was a dedicated game room. Then we have another room that was like our guest room. And so uh, we moved everything into that other room. So everyone's in an unfamiliar environment. No one had ever, like none of my players had ever stayed in that guest room. Turned off all the lights, pulled out 100 <laughs> tiny little electric tea candles that I scattered across the entire room. That was the only light that I allowed in that room. No cell phones. And uh, I had the closet. It was one of those double closet doors, the sliding ones. I had that wide open. And then I had the door out into the hallway wide open. No lights on in the entire house. And so we sat down to play. And everyone got so invested in that. And I had a friend of mine, Brian, um, who was sitting very close to the door. Uh, He's kind of the scary, scaredy cat to begin with. That is the worst place to be, by the way. I'm in the middle (laughs) of describing this scene with this uh, with this blind rat inside of uh, stuck inside of a, a bathtub. Uh, making the scabbering, clawing noise and all the rest of that stuff. And then my cat, Shep, decided now was the time she wanted attention, specifically from the closest <laughs> person, which was just walk up behind Brian and then headbutt him in the back of the elbow. And my <laughs> God, if that man didn't scream, like little electric tea lights went flying everywhere. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing experience. My and nightmare. so that's what I mean when I'm talking about horror is really like setting the scene, engaging people in these things. Um, and so, again, the the idea of doing horror is so that, again, you are... Brian himself was so invested that he, the player, did feel like when this cat bumped him, he was in danger. His, mm-hmm. you know, fight, and fly, fight or flight instinct uh, kicked in. Fortunately, it was flight, because I would rather him not try to punch my cat. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> 
But it's investing yourself, really putting your mind in that headspace um, is what we mean when we talk about horror games. And so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. Um, and so I guess the, the next question is, how do you start a horror game? Uh, for many of those of you maybe thinking about doing one for a nice one shot for this month. Make sure people want to play a horror game. Yes, that's please. high up there on the list. That is number one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, number one on that actually is talk to your friends. Um, explain that you want to run a game of um, that will be horror themed. And the major difference between this, because it's that's the number one rule whenever you start any TTRPG is talk to your friends and ask them if they want to play. Otherwise, you're going to set up a game and then no one will be there. It's fair. Yeah. Um, however, the difference this time is when when you're asking someone to play in a horror game, you're asking for a level of investment beyond what most people um, normally sign up for with a game. Usually you're signing up for it. Um, I always encourage talking to your players first and letting them know what the theme of your game is. I think I've mentioned it before that, you know, I prefer Lord of the Rings and some people show up to games wanting Monty Python. Mm. Um, and mm -hmm. I like Monty Python, but that's not the stories that I tell. You got to have the same expectations. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, that's usually like, there's always that, uh, I think it's a reoccurring joke when I see stuff for a new actual play and they'll be like, three characters that it's like here's an elf and there's a dwarf and then there's a human and i'm like okay i get all the rest of that stuff and then off towards the side is an awakened bear and i'm like that's that one player that like everyone's like we're going to be doing this dark and serious game where all of you wake up inside of an asylum with no memories it's like great i'm a bear but the yeah. making certain that everyone's on the same page is a very important that's honestly important in everything it is even more important with horror but the biggest difference whenever you talk to your friends is you are going to be asking people to make themselves feel vulnerable. You're going to be asking people to basically say, hey, I would like to sit around a table. And I, my goal is, when we sit around this table, to scare the crap out of you. <laughs> I want you so, to feel like you're in danger. I want you to scream. <laughs> yeah, I, I want you to come into this situation. And when you truly invest yourself into your character, to know that you're in a safe space, but to not feel like you are safe. And that is asking a lot. Um, that is something you definitely need consent first before you start engaging, before you really start emotion or manipulating people's emotions. Um, I've been guilty of surprising people with horror before um, because I love horror. And so, you know, for me, it's it's basically like saying, do you want pizza? Yes. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter if I'm on a boat. It doesn't matter if I'm at a fancy <laughs> dinner. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you say pizza, I'm there. Uh, it's the same thing for horror. Not everyone feels that way. Um, so really you do need to sit down with people beforehand and have that session zero. You need to sit down with people and have that talk. Um, as a game master, it's, res you're responsible for giving them an idea of exactly how dark of a game we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, this there, is there something is a we big did with, difference this between... is something that happened with time scraps. It was like, this is survival horror. Things are going to be bad. Yeah. And Rick was very upfront. It's going to be bad, and it's going to kind of stay that way. Like, yeah. maybe never going to. We did not better. go into this thinking that we were going to be the big heroes of Rossler's Coffer, you know. Yeah. In that well, way, and, and as know? that, and Tyrant's Grass was a great example. Tyrant's Grass available on our Patreon for uh, Patreon backers of the five dollars and up. So if you're interested in horror and horror gaming, definitely go check out our Patreon. Mm -hmm. uh, over a hundred episodes out now. Very good. The the thing with um, I even made some mistakes when I started Tyrant's Grasp. Because I just told them, this will be survival horror. 
And I didn't really go into details of exactly how dark Tyrant's Grass gets. And so even early on when it was, um, oh, like, you know, I think episode, I think it was episode seven, episode eight or so was, uh, was when Tyrant's Grass really, really takes that first major dark turn. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um, that was bad. And again, if you want to go to our Patreon uh, for $1, you can listen to the first 12 episodes and you can uh, experience that as well. And that was something that it did surprise um, some of my players that it's like, I knew this was going to be dark. I didn't know it was going to be this dark, um, almost this nihilistic hopelessness. Like real tears were shed at the table kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Oh, well, sure. And um, so, again, you do want to let your players know how dark this is going to be. Um, you can use the, you know, the ratings scale, if you so wish. If you could say, yeah, this is this going to be like, it's a horror game, but we're talking like PG-13 horror. Like this is, you know, yeah, there's going to be some discussion of blood and guts and all the rest of that stuff, but it's not going to be, you know, sitting down to watch a Cronenberg film or something like that. Um, it can then escalate up the, uh, the rankings. Generally speaking, I like to tell people... Um, more akin to a uh, a game or something like that, something that they can relate to, where you can just say, hey, I'm going to be running this game, by the way, um, think the thing uh, or thing, you know, or, hey, we're going to play this game and there's going to be a whole bunch of creepy things in here. So if you're comfortable watching it, you should be comfortable watching or playing this. Yeah. Well, and people can um, say, hey, I'm cool with all that, except this is the one thing that I can't do. Uh, ah, yeah. yes. And that is true. Um because again, people are people are comfortable with a variety of genres. Some people are comfortable with ghost stories and gothic stories, but not body horror. Um, but Jessica raises a very valid point, which is as a player, make certain that you tell your game master what content you are not comfortable with. Yeah, like we, yeah. we tease Heather for being scared of spiders, but Heather is fine with there being spiders. Yeah, she's fine with the concept of spiders. Even even if sometimes I do get a little exploitative with that, where I'm just like, you know, here's a giant spider. Oh, turns out it's an undead spider piloted by millions of tiny spiders inside of it uh, that all burst out like a uh, what am I thinking those uh, those spiders that carry all their babies on their backs it's like cotton um, something I think anyway yeah, I anyway, there's a lot of spiders that do creepy there's shit there's a lot of so. spiders that do oh, that <laughs> Jessica dang it um, <laughs> uh, pulling a heather um, but yeah there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that people tend to be uncomfortable with but like for an example um no one at our table has children. That's just, you know, that's just a fact. And therefore, like, children being in danger isn't necessarily especially horrible for us. Um, other than the concept of, like, I've got a niece and nephew. It's bad. I've got multiple. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's children being in danger is bad. Um, but it is not, if, if to use a word that is oftentimes overused or misused, it is not a trigger. Mm. Um, yeah, but for someone personal. with children exploiting their fear of something bad happening to children could quite feasibly be a big no-no. Um, yep. And so if you're a person with children and you want to say, hey, look, I'm cool with whatever, um, even children being endangered or ghost children or any of the rest of that stuff, just don't get explicit with it. Like, I don't want to internalize that and have nightmares about something happening to my child um, because the game that I played tonight. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine. And as a game master, you should never, never um, belittle someone for what they view as their hard lines. These are the things that they do not want to cross because they have that for a reason. No one knows what all has happened in someone else's life. And so um, I remember warning people before I ran the, uh, uh, I believe that was book, it was book three, book three of Rise of the Rune Lords. Because book three of Rise of the Rune Lords gets 
very, very dark. Um, there's mm. a little Hills Have Eyes action in there. Ah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I warned people about that before because if you are um, getting into my minor spoilers here, but um, if you are a um, survivor of any form of assault or things like that, then that storyline can be very, very dark. And I made certain that they knew that I will not violate your trust in me, but understand that that is a theme in this part of the story and making certain that everyone knows that they're comfortable with that. I'll put something else out here with that. When somebody gives you like a line or a veil, don't ask why. Yes. Like that, that's a huge thing. Don't ask why. They do not owe you an explanation. Nope. They're not comfortable with it. End of discussion. Like that's the best thing you can do as a game master or other player is just accept that that's not something that they're cool with. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and so again, be clear, be upfront. I think I think one of the, uh, our equivalent of, uh, you know, in War for the Crown, the constant refrain is infrastructure. I think with Find the Path, our constant refrain is communication. Yeah. Be open, sure. communicate, let, let people know. Um, understand, however, of course, as a, Understand, of course, as a player, um, you're joining a horror game, which means that you are not just responsible for maintaining the horror atmosphere at the table um, for yourself, but for other players. So, again, if uh, if someone at your table is getting freaked out because there's a clown, Mm. don't belittle them for being afraid of the fact that there's a clown like we'll tease Heather because we do have that relationship. We do know Heather. I've known Heather for more than half of my life. that it's fine teasing her about spiders and Rachel will bring up her video of the cute spider or whatever it is that because Rachel likes spiders. Um, Mm -hmm. And so having that back and forth is great, but especially if you're sitting at a table with someone that you don't necessarily know and it's like, okay, well, there's, you know, an animated doll doll, and it's just like, why would I be afraid of, you know, an animated doll, blah, blah, blah. That's ridiculous Mm. where you have somebody else that was traumatized uh, by watching Chucky at the age of four. Yeah, Um, I was going to say, there's there's definitely a lot of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the common joke of just like, it's like, why would I be afraid of a doll? I just punch it across the room or whatever it is. And it's like, no. Not if it just shows back up. I once more must tell this story because it is very apropos. So I was really creeped (laughs) out by dolls growing up. And because my mom had a doll that had a face that you could turn it into itself. And like where the hair would be, there was just another face, right? (laughs) And it was a crying face. And so I I was just messed up by that doll. Like (laughs) I was just, every time I would see it, I would make sure it wasn't the crying face because I was so like messed up. Cause it's just in a nice little like white dress and all this Uh, stuff, like look perfectly Porcelain dolls in general are so freaking creepy. uh, Yeah, it was a porcelain doll. And I'm like, oh, it's just, it's so creepy. Or like I was a kid with braces when I watched the first Poltergeist movie. And there's a scene in there where the kid's braces attack him. The poltergeist takes over the, the braces. Mm. Messed me up for weeks. Yeah. I must have blocked I was that like, out. That could be me, right? So, like, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to have, like, those kinds of fears. But, again, yeah. you know, it's not your your place to judge or to, you know, interrogate them about why and try to, like, give them psycho counseling or anything like that, right? Like, you know, if somebody, like, we, we all love our cats. But if somebody is deathly afraid of cats, then... Yeah. That's it. No cats yeah, in the game. Yeah, that's you know? just their that's just their fear. That's what it is. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I myself. I think I mentioned it a couple of times that um, you know, I myself, I don't like needles. Um, I especially don't like movies, which is a reoccurring theme where they're like needle in the eyeball. Um, oh God, yeah. Because I'm just like, eh, but I just generally speaking don't like needles at all, and I have a little bit of claustrophobia. You know, 
Uh, again, you can kind of tell from my office behind me that I have a large open space behind, behind me because I have to have everything pushed out to the corners. I can't have like clutter immediately around me. And um, because of that, like things like Iron Maidens, like I find the concept of being inside of an Iron Maiden to be terrifying. Mm. Um, but of course, as a game master, I also oftentimes go like, these are the things I'm afraid of. Let me go into extreme detail over why you should be terrified of this. Ah, uh, fair. Well, yeah, there's there's like some author, maybe it was Stephen King, that's like, I write my nightmares, like the things that scare me or what I like write about. Kingism. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was a Kingism or if it's somebody else, but I remember reading that and going, that's horrible. And I, by the way, have done that as a, as a, when I was my, in my teens, I used to have nightmares and then go write a short story of like what happened, what, what my nightmare was and like flesh it out. And it oddly helped. I yeah. feel like that's probably a strategy. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm, it, I'm really, sure it helped me. A, Nobody a ever told me to do it. It just kind of helped, you know. Hmm. But I suppose jumping into, um, once you as a game master have done this, once you, you as a game master have gotten consent, you understand, maybe you've even set up a system if you want to have like an X card system and all the rest of that stuff where it's just like, yeah. yeah, you know, this is where, this is where the cutoff is for some people, even if it's just like a more subtle thing of like, you know, again, if you're playing over uh, a virtual tabletop, you know, you can install apps that just let you signal to the game master that you're not comfortable with the direction things are going so they can change yep. that if you're in person just hand over a card or send them a text or anything else like that to just let them know if you don't want to address with the group of uh why this is going too far or freaking you out because you're entitled to whatever you feel um mm -hmm. and you should not be showing up to a game where that uh those feelings are going to be exploited once again we're all here to have fun absolutely right? and if one person's not having fun at your table none of you are going to have fun at the table well and the idea of horror is that it's that catharsis. Mm -hmm. It's that like, I like watching, you know, Rachel sometimes jokes that she listens to all of her murder podcasts so that she knows what to do. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost like a constant preparation, but it's like, I like to watch horror things because, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm rooting for the final girl to get away or for, you know, this, this guy to get his comeuppance and all the rest of that stuff, which is sometimes why the most polarizing horror movies are where the villain wins. Mm -hmm. ah, just like that though. Yeah. And hopefully, again, if you're playing a TTRPG, you know, you're the heroes you're going to win in the end. Not necessarily guaranteed, but yeah, the, the interesting thing for me is like, game. is for me, it's the opposite. Like, I don't like watching like horror movies or, you know, listening to horror podcasts or any of that stuff because I feel helpless because I don't have agency to do anything about it. Like yeah. when I have agency, like in a in like Pathfinder or whatever, I'm much better i feel much like more yeah. in control like that's why like so many of the games where you are like you have a flashlight and you need to run from this thing just just freak me out is because like <laughs> i that's fair if Outlast i have a gun in my hand those, i feel yeah. a lot better you know yeah yeah i don't know i have the we'll, we'll touch my, on that here in a minute my thing with horror is like if i'm feeling especially if i feel very depressed or anxious i watch horror because at least that's not happening to me and that makes me oh, feel a yeah. little better schadenfreude <laughs> yeah making but, me feel glad that i'm not you so exactly the the reason why it is so important um, to have player investment on board for a horror game is because not only do the players need to be open to the idea of running of playing in a horror game, uh, comfortable playing in a horror game, but everyone also needs to be entirely invested. If you say, hey, I want to do a horror game and the person's response is, I mean, I guess <laughs> you don't want that person in your horror game. Yeah. In a regular game, your player's level of investment will vary, um, oftentimes a great deal, and that's perfectly fine. It might just be like, this is a storyline I'm not really that interested in, but you know what? Let's let the rogue take point. You know, my the other players are really cool with this, and I'm just going to wait until it gets to a part of the story that I'm actually interested in. And if it's a standard fantasy, like a heroic fantasy story, 
of going like, uh, I guess we're going to go and rescue these orphans from these goblins. Sure. That's one thing. And sometimes a player's reaction like that will cause the rest of the group to be less invested. Hmm. But that being said, oftentimes they will still be invested. The difference with horror is if one player is not on board, if one player is making jokes, if one player is distracting from the, the horror, all of your players will lose the effect of the horror. If you go into a detailed description of a monster, if you're sitting there, if you're like, you know, the cra- the cabin door shatters open and these four fingers grab onto the inside of this door and this head lowers down and this ungainly green monstrosity dripping with gore, you go into the full detail as it starts to wrench open the door and climb in. And everyone else is like, oh God, oh God, leaning back away and really invested. And then there's one guy that's like, oh, uh, I guess the green giant's here. <laughs> Done. No one cares that's, anymore. That's me. <laughs> My humor is a defensive mechanism. Well, that is the other struggle is sometimes that's the only way to survive. But the problem is, is that that immediately takes everyone else out. Of it. Oh, yeah. 100%. So sometimes you have to know, as, as terrible as this is to say, sometimes you have to know if there's going to be that one guy that will ruin it for everyone. If there's that one person that you go, I can't really run horror for them. And not to say that you should exclude any of your players, but maybe have a talk and say, look, I get that that's kind of how you are, but don't say anything. If you see that I'm really trying to set the scene and make this cake and make this look great, please don't come over with a hand and just knock everything on the floor. That's why you need that player investment, because not only do the players need to be comfortable coming to the game, they actually need to be invested. They need to want to do a horror game. And again, it depends on what level of horror you're going for. Which I think is a good segue. We mentioned King just earlier. Big fan of his works. Not all of them, but big fan of, generally speaking, his works. And so running a horror game is an interesting beast. Um, It is different than running a standard game. For game masters, you first need to decide, of course, what type of horror you're going for. And there's actually, there's a great Stephen King, um, there's a part, there's a quote of his, I think it's taken from an essay that he did, where he's talking about what he considers to be the three types of horror, uh, the three types of terror, as he defines them. And he does a great job of delineating horror without getting into subgenres. Because when usually when you talk about horror, you can go like, oh, I'm a big fan of cosmic horror, or I really like gothic horror. I like my Draculas. Mm. I like my Frankenstein. Or, you know, I mentioned Cronenberg earlier, where it's just like, I like, you know, my body, body horror, horror thing and this weird twisted. Um, or... A lot of people, you know, I don't really classify him as horror, but a lot of people do. Uh, David Lynch and these Lynchian, like, really creepy, offsetting, uh, off-putting stories. Mulholland Drive, for instance. Like, yeah. I don't really consider it a horror thing. It has a really good jump scare, but I don't necessarily consider it a horror it's that tension. Um, story. Yeah, and it is that tension. And there is that difference between Alien and The Haunting of Hill House, you know, when mm-hmm. you're getting into subgenres. Mm-hmm. But Stephen King kind of defined um, terror into three categories. Um, Conveniently, they're actually arranged in their order of difficulty to pull off. The first of those is the gross out. King describes this as uh, being the the sight of a severed head tumbling down a flight of stairs. It's when the lights go out and something green and slimy splatters against your arm. The gross out is relatively easy to do in game because especially when your players are invested, when you walk in and you describe blood splatters across the wall and saws and things, hooks, meat hooks hanging from the ceiling, dripping with blood and viscera. And you can really get that gross out effect. Um, or anytime that I have my players step into a, um, a sewer 
I'm always just like, let me get into a little bit uh, of detail exactly uh, on how this smells so and feels. Disgusting. Having not actually been in a sewer myself, I'm just going off of everything I've seen in movies. <laughs> Even That's the myths say. of sewers are gross. It's true. <laughs> go down there and fight some coppas or something like that. The the gross out is kind of the easiest level of horror that you can go for. The gross out is kind of the PG-13 of horror. You can get into that horror. You can get into that creepiness and all the rest of that stuff where you're just going to go like, hey, guys, this is this is just going to be a gross game. Like this is going to be like you're, you know, wading through sewer water that's like treacle flowing around your legs. And, um, you know, then you're going to walk into a room and it's that uh, uh, my mind always goes to which one was it? It was one of the Friday the 13th. I believe. It might have been one of the Halloweens uh, where there's the they open the door and there's like pizza delivery guy and then his head falls off or whatever it is. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. One of the classic 80s. Mm. The gross out is the slasher movie. So if that's where you want to go, that's a great option. And it's generally accepting acceptable for everyone because Again, much like the the slasher movies, uh, they very quickly turn to comedy. Yeah, it's a little campy. Yeah, it's a little bit of camp. There's a very thin line. In fact, I've actually heard before that horror and comedy are two sides of the same coin. Because both of them all hinge on the idea of the unexpected happening. It's the same with comedies and tragedies. Like, it's, you know, it's the the catharsis that you get out of it at the end Mm -hmm. is like the reason why you experience want to experience it in the first place, even though it's a super scary story. You come out of it feeling better because you've got those emotions out. The the second one, as uh, again, as Stephen King describes this, is uh, is the horror as he describes it. Um, it's the unnatural. It's spiders the size of, size of bears. It's the dead walking, um, waking up, walking around. It's when the lights go out and something uh, with claws grabs you by the arm. You know, it's mm-hmm. the it's taking it up a step to being less of the like, here's something that you could experience in the real world. Here's something that is gross. Here's something that is uncomfortable and more into here's something that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, your characters live in a world where these things exist, especially mm-hmm. if you're playing Pathfinder Dungeons and Dragons. You already live in a world where there are um, bear sized spiders. Yeah, exactly. These said, aren't the creepy bedtime stories. These are like literally Jim up the hill got killed by an owl bear, you know, yeah. a while back kind of stuff. That being said, we live in a world where uh, one of the most common fears in the world is of spiders, regular size spiders. Yeah, so, so big one ones would imagine, are even worse. Yeah, one would imagine in another world, everyone still has arachnophobia, except for now they can literally just carry you off. Yeah, yep. uh, I will go ahead and tell you guys. Um, I grew up in Nashville. Spiders the size of my hand oh yeah existed texas there and it yeah. was horrifying like texas it is, is uh texas is uh, famed for its tarantulas so yeah we got them yeah all like over tarantulas the place. the same way like it's there is something about like everybody has in their head the idea of what the size of something is right spiders ants you know anything when you see something that's larger than that but still the same size there's just something in your brain that goes i'm I'm terrified. But the reality is the smaller the spider, the scarier it is. Yeah, that's the that's the funny irony with spiders. I can see spiders. a tarantula. I know it's coming. Little baby yeah. spiders? Mm-mm, no, thank you. Yeah, they just surprise you. They're like, hello. And they're usually super especially, venomous when they're little. Yeah, especially when you're in your car. You're like, I'm driving. I don't want to crash. But also there's a Why spider. Why are you here? Why are you in my car? Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, every, every time, yeah, every time there is like some kind of like thing in my car, it is a very large battle in my yeah. head not to like <laughs> not to just, just be like I must pull over deal. and destroy you immediately yeah. you have to make the deal of you stay there I'll stay here we're fine I hate yeah. making the deal because then I obsessively check to make sure they're adhering to the deal <laughs> it's fair but again with horror the the idea of this the second level of horror um, 
you know, that idea is it's unnatural. This is something that should not be. This is something uncomfortable. Oftentimes people put um, aliens and things like that into the same category where it's mm -hmm. like, this is, this disturbs me because this is something I will not run into in my everyday life. And it's in that my mind immediately just goes to the uncanny valley sort of thing. It's like this, there's something not right here. I just think about driders. Driders. Yeah. Driders are a very Everybody good example. Driders are creepy. Yeah. yeah. You know, centaur spiders. I mean, what's not to be creepy, but the third version, uh, my personal favorite, um, again, the first one, the gross out, pretty easy to pull off. Um, the second one, the the horror, a little bit harder to pull off because, again, you need that investment. You need players to go like, OK, I can understand why I should be terrified, even if it's something like uh, like Tremors or whatever it is, where it's just like there's a worm monster springing out of the earth and eating people. Yeah, that's that's unnatural and that should be terrifying. Uh, the third one is the terror. And it's kind of the hardest to get into because it is uh, it's part of my favorite subgenre of yes. uh, horror fiction, which is cosmic horror. Mm -hmm. The terror is when you um, the example that King gives is when you come home and notice that everything you own has been taken away and replaced by an exact substitute. It's when the lights go out and you feel something is behind you. You hear it. You feel its breath against your ear. But when you turn around, there's nothing there. Yeah, it's, it's got that surrealism. Horror. Yes. Or that like liminal spaces vibe where it's yeah. What is that movie? There's some movie with um, Jesse Eisenberg hmm. where they move into this house that's in this very cookie cutter neighborhood oh. and they get food delivered, but they can't leave. Like there's nothing specifically bad happening, yeah. but they can't leave. They try to leave and they always end up right back in front of their house, like that kind of vibe. Yeah, another yeah. like a good a good show that does that also is from oh. where like the the there is like the scary thing of like don't go out at night kind of a thing but like it's just the fact that like the first episode is so creepy because they literally can't leave the town they drive off and immediately come back but they drove straight the entire time like that kind of like stuff where it's like it's environmentally disturbing i guess is a is a good way to uh, kind Vivarium of is the name of that movie ah, ah yeah yeah and again like i've always enjoyed the the concept of the terror gets into that whole idea of cosmic horror um which is really like my own personal experience, like me, myself, my own closest personal experience, I can say to cosmic horror is when you actually try to contemplate your size in comparison to the universe. Mm -hmm. And it's that existential feeling of insignificance when you're when you're really looking at the idea of even Earth in comparison to the larger cosmos. Yeah. It's basically it's almost more philosophy, really, than it is naturally horror. It's very difficult to do in a game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because. It's a little bit easier to do in a game than certain media. Uh, one of the things that you sometimes get into with uh, any form of visual media is eventually the monster reveal, like the cat reveal, as it were. <laughs> Little monster herself. You get into the idea of the, the this monstrous reveal of, okay, well, now they have to see the creature. And in my personal opinion, not saying that the suit was not phenomenal, one of the things that made the first Alien movie so terrifying was how long before you ever actually saw it. They yep. wait until yeah. the finale to actually show it to you. And that's because it's terrifying because it's this thing that's somewhere, it's this incomprehensible entity that is somewhere on the ship murdering people one after the next that you only get glimpses of. And one of the advantages of doing um, the media such as we do, this tabletop, um, is because you can describe something and say, or even, you know, give a description that's a non-description. You can say you open the door and there's this thing that is beyond true comprehensive comprehension. It's solid, but still somehow liquid. 
it's amorphous. It's huge. It's this, uh, there are tendrils that might be arms. It has things that could be chitons or maybe they're bone plates. And the players are going to envision whatever is the most terrible thing that they can think of. Because mm-hmm. they're going like, okay, what is the thing that's going to disturb me the most out of this as you're going through? Or if you just say, you open a door, you look inside of there, and you just shut the door. There's something there. It is horrible. You don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Well, it's also things like, you know, what made Get Out so scary. Mm-hmm. Things that feel normal until they're not normal. Just like that yes. subtle, something is wrong here, but I can't figure out what's yeah. wrong here. Yeah. There is ga- no war in Bossing Say. Yes. Yeah. A game that, like that actually by does itself a, is almost horror. Yeah. A game that does it so well is actually Prey. The I think it was the 2017 version mm-hmm. of Prey. Where the the main enemy that you're fighting can turn into any inanimate object. Yeah, mm. and I mean that literally. It can just turn into any inanimate yeah, object, that, and that it's falls, horrifying. Yeah, that falls well into the horror category. Like sometimes I think the terror category is almost more PT. With PT, well, that's just the like, thing is you walk into every room unsure if you're about to be attacked, right? Yeah. Because like everything could be an enemy, and it's that like that dread of you know progressing and yeah. like every, something is wrong in this room. You just have to look hard enough to see that there's two cups where there should be one kind of a thing. Again, those are kind of like the three. And again, the, the the terror is kind of the most difficult to get off because everyone has to really invest themselves into the idea mm-hmm. of just going, let me let me try to explore this idea of this incomprehensible thing. Um, you're almost asking for less of playing a game at points and more. Let's have a philosophical discussion. Let's all sit here and really like get into this philosophical ideal of idea of um, I've once heard uh, the idea of trying to wrap yourself, uh, wrap your brain around something that you can't understand as um, imagine being a dog and trying to understand a human using a computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, almost I, like I can't. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a very horrifying and scary forest where everything's trying to eat you. And then you come upon a peaceful campfire that's there's stew cooking and everything yeah. you ever wanted was there and it should be great it's not great but there's something wrong about this but there's something there's something <laughs> weird because it's so out of place yeah yes um or a recent uh somewhat famed goose incident in the uh, entire scratch I, I, uh, yeah, I was gonna say i was gonna mention i was that. alluding to i'm alluding as well there's a there was an yeah. incident it was uh, it was disturbing so uh. Once you know what kind of what type of horror you want to run, whether you not you want to just go, I want to go slasher, I want it to be bloody, you know, I want to go like, yeah, it's like saw or anything like that. It's like I just want explosions of blood everywhere, you know. It's gonna look at like a um, a sword fight in a Quentin Tarantino movie, <laughs> everywhere. That you can get into this idea of how do you set the mood, how do you set this up, how do you really make people invested, get people really interested in doing horror. Early on, actually, in Find the Path, before we even started doing actual plays, uh, we had a YouTube channel. We still have a YouTube channel. You can go check it out. Um, I even did a video on there where I talked a lot about running horror because uh, mm. I'm a huge fan. So if you want to see that was early on in our career, the audio quality is so-so. Um, the video quality is pretty good, actually. But setting the mood. Um, Rachel's going to get angry at me because she hates when I misuse mood. Uh, she's like, it's tone. Mood is the effect on you. It's tone. But mood is the general You're understanding the people tone. have. You're setting the tone. How does Rachel define it? Um, my mother's tone affected my mood. Yes. That's how she yeah. always reminds me of the difference. But really, when you're setting the tone for your story, you can do a lot of little tricks 
to get people invested. It's what movies have been doing for years. Uh, if you are playing with your, your players in a physical space, not over a VTT, then things like I said earlier, uh, turning off lights will definitely set that mood, will create that mood, will set that tone. Because we are humans, we're naturally visual creatures, uh, and we don't have the greatest night sight. So mm -hmm. creating spaces where you just go, now I, now I don't have these distractions. And that's oftentimes what I feel like it really gets down to is limiting the number of distractions in your environment yeah. so that I have nothing to do but focus on the words that are being said and put myself into this character's shoes and really imagine being in this space. I honestly encourage that for every game, whether or not it's horror or not. Limit distractions. Yeah, because if, if people if, are if you, checking their phones. Yeah, if you think about it, like engaged. the reason why experiences like haunted houses work so well is because you're not on your phone. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's because you are fully immersed in that moment of oh, experiencing what's going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. I almost killed my friend for, Joseph. The last time I had the, like a major enough <laughs> panic attack to start crying, it was in a it was in a haunted house as a teenager. Yeah. I was it was horrible. yeah. I was going. Uh, Joseph was in front of me uh, wearing a hoodie, and that was a mistake. <laughs> Uh, because uh, the hoodie became the thing I needed to clutch onto, and I nearly strangled yeah. him. Uh, the other thing that I always tell people not to sleep on, and it's because it's not just because I'm we're an audio production ourselves. Music and mm -hmm. ambiance, sound effects, and such—they do so much to invest people. Even if it is just a, I've got a loop of just chirping crickets mm -hmm. while you guys are out in a cornfield and just playing that. And then stopping it at and at a specific moment because then, it's silence say, yeah. is then the silence becomes yeah. very unnerving because you can because once we lose sight, once you dim the environment around you, the next thing to kick in is hearing. That's the thing that's going to especially if you've already dimmed the lights, you've created this environment where the sound is less the um, or the sound is is more what they're focusing on because their vision is less. So really bringing in ambient sound, um, music, sound effects, as long as they're not too jarring. Although you could even have sound effects if you want to get a jump scare, because that's what movies do. Mm -hmm. uh, you can tell if it's a good movie if the jump scare still works without a sound effect. Uh, my mind goes to, uh, what was that movie? It came out um, at almost the same time as the Insidious movie, but it was about like the home video thing. Oh. That they were, like the children were murdering people. It's Ethan um, Hawke. Um, Ethan Hawke. I mean, it's not yeah. Insidious. Sinister. 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 Thank you. Sinister. I think I think you're right. Um, but yeah, that was one of those movies that like if you watch it without the sound on, it's actually not very scary. The sound design is everything that it does mm -hmm. everything carries that movie, basically. Uh, yeah, I'm sure like, there's some uh, Sinister fans out there that are like, screw you. Um, yeah, like a, more a more classic example is uh, the scene in Psycho where um, the girl gets murdered in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Classic that's not scary scene, without sound. Right. It is the the creak, 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 creak sound that yeah. is being played that makes that terrible. Yes. Like that that sound grates on you enough to like jar you versus or Jaws. There's a scene in Jaws. There's a huge jump scare that still gets yeah. me. And I've seen that movie 50,000 yeah. times yeah, because of that music. Build up. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's yeah. very much like sound is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And then once you get past that, you can actually like if you really if you want to go all out. Um, you can get into things with um, exploring the other senses as well. Um, smell, for instance. I, I think there are those, what would they, scent FX uh, bags oh, that you yeah. can buy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're kind of weird, and it really only works if you're in a single setting. But um, if, you, if you burn a candle that smells like moss <clears throat> and you're doing a swamp thing, 
you know, where everyone's in this swamp and they're traveling around the swamp and all the rest of that stuff. And you have this very earthy scent. You can engage your players even for the, the whole the whole thing with experiencing horror is more than any other genre. You have to get them in the mindset of their characters because the players aren't in any danger. So you need them to be there. Uh, props are also a huge thing. Uh, props are great for horror. Like even if it's just going, you're walking up to a building you know, you describe the building and then you take out the creepiest picture you can find of an abandoned shack and just set that up so that they can see it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the murder house we're inside of. I, I got it now. Well, and some of that works really well for VTTs because VTTs are weird because yes. you can't control the environment your player's in mm-hmm. because they're going to be in whatever room they happen to be in. That's true. Although but- as a player, to get really into it, you know, if you want to, de- if you're comfortable dimming the lights and like, you know, going yeah. off of like just that, yeah. like you do get more immersed that way. Yeah. But well, images um, become a huge thing. It's like find a good image, find the right sound set, focus on your descriptions and the yeah. way that you deliver the descript- The description. I'm kind of curious if I can make yeah. this way. It's a visual thing, but just uh, let me see if I kill those. Is that killed? There you go. I uh, know you can't quite see it. I just turned all my LEDs to red. So if you have a little remote that lets you control your LEDs and you have them around your room, uh, even as a game master, you can be like, now we're in horror mode because I've turned oh, it all to cool. red and turn off your uh, your box lights and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. You could really, as a game master, kind of immerse yourself in that. Yeah, I uh, think For players, other... yeah. I think uh, being in a dark room and uh, I remember the first time that I played Amnesia, The Dark Descent. And whenever you start playing that game, there's a little pop-up that tells you how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. tells you turn off all the lights, play it with headphones on and put an open space behind you Ooh. is how they encourage you to play. Ah. And and that's the thing is it, it's that like idea that. of like, you should be playing this game and then periodically it's just like, I'm going, I'm going, okay, now I'm back to the game, but I just had to check real quick yeah. uh, to make sure that yeah. that door, you know, go over there and lock my front door real quick and uh, <laughs> make sure I don't uh, get there's murdered. A, there's a game called this. Hellblade yeah. that, uh, yes. First of all, it's a very cool game, but it's amazing it's like, game. Play it with headphones uh, because you're. I think you're, the character is, is experiencing schizophrenia, and it's this whole journey through hell. But yeah. the sound design, like you'll hear the voices that are second guessing you around every choice you make. Like it's way better. With well, headphones. and they have oh, the, yeah. the, the best part about the sound design. They have directionality. So yes. like as you're playing through it, like certain voices actually seem to be coming from like over your shoulder or like off to your left. And I, it, I, Jess and I played it and we played it in like just with a sound bar, you know, like, um, thing. And I could tell that they, like, we, 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 uh, saw it at what games for change, I think originally games for change, yeah, yeah. it was over there and they had us put headphones on for it. And it was like mind blowing how yeah. like immersive it felt. Well, and I've never had a game second guess all of my choice in that way. Like, I'm going to jump over this and it's like, don't do that. Don't do that. You think if you do that, something bad's going to happen. Like it's uh, the, it's like giving it's voice also, to all the anxiety. There's also have. encouragement. So it's so confusing because there's some things mm-hmm. that are telling you yes. Some things telling yeah. you no. It's, it's kind of the thing like, uh, so the SWAT teams actually do this. They give you conflicting orders when they bust in through a, a room to confuse you, to try to create a paralysis effect um, yeah. by saying, you know, put your guns down, hands up on the floor, like saying all those things at once confuses you. And that game really yeah. capitalizes on that to be like, uh, uh, who do I? Li- what do I listen to? Should I go? Should yeah. I not go? And well, and, and just was hitting on a really good point right there, which is the um, if you're if you're working with a VTT, there's still things you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. first off, you know, people are going to have headphones on. You can really get into the sound design with a VTT, um, especially if you're using something like Foundry, where you can set up sound effects to play specifically. You know, what's the creepiest door opening sound effect yeah. I can have when they <laughs> open a door? Yep. I remember I was actually playing through, uh, I was taking some people through the beginner's box for that. 
and there's one point where everyone started freaking out and i'm like why is everyone freaking out and what it was is that their tokens had gotten within the sound range of some uh, some creepy sound effects mm, from yeah, this yeah. next room but as a game yeah. master i wasn't hearing them because i wasn't selecting a token and so they're like what the heck is going on up here <laughs> like there's 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 something in my ears yes uh but yeah, and, and making certain that they set up an environment for them. And heck, you can even do jump scares by sharing images because uh, mm -hmm. when the game master shares an image, it immediately pops up on their screen. Yep. Yeah. So you can just be like, if you can time that correctly with playing a sound effect or something where you just like click, aha, this thing springs out of the door at you. Well, and it is also, you know, the way that you create horror is with tension and the way that you create tension outside of sound is with description. But your yes. delivery of that description is going to make it tense oh, yes. or not, right? If you're just reading, like I ran Signal of Screams, and if you were just reading a blurb of the creepy scene, it's pretty creepy sounding, but it's not the same as if you're like slowing down the way that you speak or emphasizing the right things within that paragraph or yes. making or the right choices for repetition. The thing yeah. that got me on that, on that adventure path specifically that Jess did was we were playing it in Foundry in the VTT and she would let us explore freely. Right. And so we'd be like, OK, we're going to go open this door, blah, blah. And then we'd open a door and she would just pause the game. So none of us could move or anything. <laughs> and every time we're like, oh, what horror have we stumbled upon? Like, we, yeah. there's something bad in this room. Right. Like it built tension just by the fact that we suddenly couldn't move anymore. And yeah. the other trick in that game that I thought worked really well, and it was a suggestion, I think, in that AP was have players make tell players to make one roll, use their dice score and apply it to the actual role you needed. So for example, they were hallucinating at some point and it would have been a will save because it was all illusion. Mm -hmm. um, but I had them make fortitude checks for things that seemed like they would be fortitude. I used the number that they rolled and added their wisdom modifier to determine if they passed or failed. Yeah. And it, it honestly, that was a really good effect because like we didn't know it was a hallucination. Like we all responded as if it was a real attack happening and like, yeah. you know, all this stuff. So like, it was very interesting to play with kind of our game senses, if you will, because well, like, yeah, if we were making will saves against somebody stabbing us. We'd be like, oh, it's an illusion, you know, mm -hmm. like the meta of it. But they still like well, if the they pass, they could then uh, know, right? So it's you're still getting yeah. in that agency piece. Yeah. And that's that's the the whole thing of um, of secret checks in second edition is it True. really gets into that idea of um, stopping meta knowledge where you can sometimes work well with it. Um, there's the classic example of just going, yeah, the players seem too comfortable real quick and just going real quick. Um, everyone just roll me a will save. Yeah. And then everyone goes, uh, okay. And then they all roll and you just wait for a couple of seconds. All right. Yeah. So you keep making your way into the room. There's so nothing much. worse. There's nothing and then worse. Like, did I succeed? We know at least one did of us I failed. Fail? What happens? <laughs> did we all fail? Did yeah. we all fail? Is everyone mind controlled? What's going oh, on now? Gosh, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So kind of playing around with people's uh, people's reaction um, as a game master and especially in a uh, I've always heard the advice of just occasionally roll a die behind the screen um, <laughs> or if you're yep. in Foundry or whatever it is just occasionally roll a die just to keep your players on edge it's like is he rolling for something or is he just playing with his dice mm -hmm. but yeah and and as Jessica was was talking about just a moment ago in all TTRPGs you as a game master are the voice you are the you're the eyes and ears of the players and description is paramount, especially um, when you're looking at a horror game, because you need to be able to fully immerse them. And then I know I keep reusing the word immersion over and over and over again, but it's such an important point is uh, is you need to keep people in the game. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. so describing things is important. Um, I also always like to use close to descriptions where it's just like, you know, you put your ear to the door and there's a sound. It's wet, but it's not water. Yep. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a drip, yeah. but it's not a constant. It's this occasional. It's you listen, you hear a drip and then it's this agonizing wait for the next drip. So, yeah, just immersing people in it. Yeah, the the best thing, weirdly, the best thing you can do for for horror and building tension is not explicitly define something. Yes. If you if you say you walk into this room and you see a Iron Maiden, okay, everybody knows what that is. That's so suddenly it's known and it's not scary. But if it's you walk in to see this man sized shape, you know, the man looks like he's been opened up and inside of him are spikes, you know, bursting out of him. Yeah. That seems like a totally different thing, and that builds a lot more tension because as soon as people know what something is, we're not really that afraid of it. Yeah. Right? The, like the, moment the scary you just sound go, is not a is not scary once you realize it's a rat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The moment you go, you know, here's the description of a troll, and everyone's like, I've fought trolls before. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But put, put a burlap sack with holes cut out for eyes on top of that troll. Mm-hmm. And then people mm-hmm. are like, um, uh, what is what? this giant monstrous creature with a bag on its head? Yeah. <laughs> I can no longer, it's basically Superman. Um, I've put on glasses. You can no longer recognize this troll. So yeah, and I suppose some last advice. I mean, that's really the, the big advice we can give as far as the Game Master's concerned. Um, other than to also, uh, I would also say limit interruptions as much as you can. Um, have everyone eat beforehand. Don't have pizza delivered in the middle of your like massive, awesome description of this, uh, of this scene. Yeah. Don't have anything that's going to disrupt your players because that will take them out of the scene. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that, uh, especially in the in the digital world, we don't think about your computer has a do not disturb that will silence all of your notifications, so you're not getting Discord notifications, yeah. email notifications, like all that stuff. So that is a huge one in kind of the VTT world is not just put your phone down, but silence yeah. all the stuff. Try to close down as many programs and tabs as you can, you know, so you can kind of just focus because it is very like we do. I do this whenever we're actually recording for the the show. I'll turn off everything. I turn off Steam. I turn off Discord. Not because it like interferes with the recording, but because it would. It it's can just a distraction. Yeah, it takes exactly. you out of what's going on. And yeah, and as as far as I mean, Jordan made a great example there of something as a player you should do, which is you know invest yourself entirely. Don't be disruptive of. Don't let the scene get disrupted for you, and don't be disruptive of the scene for other people. So you know, like if you have staying alive as the um, the ringtone on your phone or something like that. And that's going off every once yeah. in a while as, you know, someone's calling you or sending you text message alerts or something like that. Or it's just like, oh, my, no, that's just a news alert about some new stupid thing that somebody said. Some Florida man. Yeah. Then <laughs> it's always Florida man. You can just silence that, just set all the rest of that aside. Um, I've mentioned on numerous occasions where I feel like, you know, phones are honestly the, the number one most disruptive thing to tabletop gaming because mm-hmm. it's that idea of like, I have to be in contact with everyone 24 mm-hmm. seven. Um, and you could just go, look, silence your phone for the next hour and a half, be in the game. We're going to take a 15 minute bathroom break after about an hour and a half. You can check your phone, text people back if you need to. Usually there's not going to be such a, a horrible event that you have to be immediately reached. Yeah. Well, the real key is just to play with the people that would contact you and then you never have to worry about it because you're already yeah, I was going to say that works wonders for us. Everyone I care about is in this room. Yep. Yep experiencing the same horrible situation as I am. <laughs> so yeah, don't be don't be disruptive. Don't let things uh, disrupt or take you out of it. And the other thing that I would really encourage people to do, uh, it it's funny because I didn't put it down here in my notes, but it occurs to me now, is, uh, is fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not afraid, role play your character afraid. Mm. Like, 
roleplay what your character should be experiencing. Roleplay your character in that situation. The same as like, even if it's like, well, my character doesn't really care about these people. Like, I don't care about this random NPC, but my character would. So yeah. let me roleplay that. It's the same thing here of uh, roleplay the fear, because more likely than not, if you stay invested in, in your character, even if you're not afraid of the situation you'll start to get that same feeling. You'll start to get invested in that. And importantly, um, even if you yourself don't feel that way right now, it does help your other players who might be experiencing that stay in the moment. All this is a great, I just was reading uh, the player's guide that just came out for the upcoming season of ghosts, which is uh, a ooh. horror story. And I having really like started started reading through some of that, like it, it looks excellent, oh. uh, but it is something that, everyone would need to you would have to have your entire group 100 percent invest in being in this disturbing situation yes please and so that's that's the whole challenge of it it's like if your group can't do that you know it's somewhat of a uh it's somewhat difficult to actually get through that through a game like that because that game banks so much on the experience on everyone being equally invested into the horror of the story mm. um looks really good it looks so good. Um, it's it's so, been one on the radar for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's a. I'm just going to pull the question because this is the right time. Uh, Darkos okay. Phoenix asked earlier, uh, what if the coping mechanism of the person is making jokes? Wouldn't that be part of what you wanted in horror? And the reason that I brought this question in is, is because I'm going to say there's a difference between making fun of the game that you're playing and making a hysterical and I mean the true meaning of hysterical, not funny, um, joke that someone who's panicking would make, right? So yeah. if you veer more mm -hmm. towards like, ha, 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 like that, like, I've got to do this, I'm freaking out type of a joke, yeah. um, it doesn't disturb because that's a thing that people do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of a classic example of like the the wise cracking guy that gets murdered in every slasher mm -hmm. movie sort of thing. Like that's that's a trope in and of itself. And that's great if that's the character. A, a good example I could make is if you want to make a joke in a scene that your character isn't even in because you, the player, want to diffuse the, t the tension. Mm. I, I see the diffusing, diffusing of tension the same in this as I do actually in any serious scene, period. There's some people mm -hmm. that the moment things get serious, they it's like, okay, well, now there's a tension. Now there's a sadness. Um, a prime example is we've had an unfortunate number of eulogy episodes mm. in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And those work because everyone just goes, you know what? This is going to be a sad episode. I'm going to go into yeah, this. This episode's going to be sad. And pick your moments. That's that's a wonderful bit of advice there is, no, this is the time for everyone to be sad. This is the time for everyone to be mourning. Um, if you as a player, your coping, your personal coping mechanism is making jokes, just try to refrain. Um, at the very least, try to refrain if it is not your scene, if you're stealing someone else's thunder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if someone's trying to deliver this eulogy and it's just like our our elven wizard has passed away and we're standing around here and just be like, you know, you're you're a wonderful man and all the rest of that stuff. And then you got the guy in the back that's like, when 900 years old, you be look as good. You will not. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's like, well, thanks for that, because I was just being heartfelt. Yeah. And I feel like the same thing applies when you are um, in a horror setting where it's just like if sometimes if you're making a joke. It might be a joke for your comfort, but a lot of people take that as thanks because now you're making fun of me being invested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you you don't want to make fun of your friends, you know, as much as I may tease Jordan. Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the eternal maker of jokes whenever things get a little awkward. But yeah, as, 
that's the thing is you know and, and jordan will make all of his jokes and all the rest of that stuff i recently i recently sure i almost every i time. almost included and in the uh, the opening to uh, it might be the episode of terrence grass coming out uh uh, in two days but i almost included a cricket sound effect with a joke that jordan i think it was the first thing that jordan said in the episode <laughs> and there was like four seconds of silence i was just like yep. i'm just gonna leave that silence you should you should because uh <laughs> i tell a lot I, y'all don't even know all the bad jokes that i say that rick cuts out there's a yeah. punch <laughs> there's a reason we don't listen to jordan now just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason, but but we tease. We're comfortable with that. So, again, if if you yourself, your coping mechanism is is humor. Um, I certainly understand that. Maybe make those jokes to yourself. But speaking the jokes out loud is kind of the same thing. Of like, if in my personal opinion, if you wouldn't do it in a movie theater, don't mm. do it. Like, mm. don't be disrespectful yeah. of other people's engagement. That's why you don't make noise in a movie theater. That's why you silence your phone when you go to a movie, et cetera. That's why you don't pull out your cell phone in the middle of a movie. If you can do that for an hour and a half long movie, you can do it for a session. So I, that's kind of most of what we wanted to talk about as far as uh, as running a horror game is concerned. The next thing that I wanted to, uh, to discuss as far as, uh, well, still running a horror game, but I guess on a more of a mechanical level is I have a controversial opinion. Controversial might not be the proper Uh-oh. term for it, but I have an opinion. Oh boy, here we go. You can run horror in Pathfinder. You can run horror in a D20 system. Okay, that but doesn't it's not feel designed for that. Yep. Mm. It's not actually great at it. I love including horror. Um, I, I do it. I treat horror like I treat peppercorn. I just sprinkle a little bit on basically everything um, <laughs> at all times. So I'm just like, it does, sometimes I'm like, this scene doesn't even need horror. But for some reason, here you go. And I have players that invest themselves enough that I can I can include that in there. But if you're wanting to run a horror campaign, Pathfinder does struggle with it. And the reason for that is, is that Pathfinder is a game of heroic fantasy. Pathfinder is a game of... This is supposed to be my alter ego that um, is awesome. That wins. And sling fireballs and wins these fights and yep. flies. And, um, you know, I can do my three actions and do a trip attack. And, you know, I've got the special ability that will let me grapple ghosts and all the I'm rest of this stuff. Fear. You know? yeah, well, um, I'm immune to fear. Yeah. I'm literally immune to, immune to being afraid. <laughs> yeah. I cannot be afraid. Sorry. I just, there was a Clark Ashton Smith story, I think, that I read. I wanted We're to going say for it's the, the record here in in uh, in you know fiction references. Anyway, I, I wanted to say it might be the I think it was the Skull and the Stars. Um, it's it was either Clark Ashton Smith or Robert E. Howard. I can't remember which. Actually, I think it might have been Howard. But anyway, uh, very long story short, it's basically about an awesome pilgrim sort of inquisitor, basically like you know quintessential. If I was a you know belt buckles on my hats and shoes inquisitor that punches out a ghost because he's so heroic that he's able to grapple and punch a a ghost through sheer heroic might uh, and his sheer level of courage. And that is sometimes what Pathfinder feels like. It's like, this should be horrifying, but then uh, you get to this whole idea of uh, for horror to sometimes work, powerlessness oftentimes is part of that. It's that reason why when you when when people have nightmares, there's always that feeling of like, I'm trying to run away from things, and then suddenly it feels like I'm underwater trying to run. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm trying to drive and the car won't start. It's that I'm trying to to find the solution and everything fails me. And with Pathfinder, a monster jumping out of out at you is less scary if you know it's challenge rating and you know that it's challenge rating is within an appropriate level range for you to fight as a character. Because Pathfinder mm-hmm. works with the assumption that every encounter you run into is an encounter you should fight. Generally speaking, every once in a while they pull the rug out from under you on that. And that every encounter that you fight is an encounter you're supposed to win. 
and no yep. one should die. That dying is the aberration. And because of that, Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons and any other D20 game, because they are heroic fantasy games, can struggle with being a horror game because you're awesome. Your character is awesome. You're the gosh your darn hero. Yeah, your character literally throws back Quano out of a bag and blows up half of a room. Like, you know, that's not the, the heroic damsel in distress. That's not, you know, one of the victims of a slasher. The odds of you dying are pretty rare. So there are other games that do handle horror better, and there are definitely ways with Pathfinder to adjust for it. Uh, my mind immediately goes to giving the party less treasure, making the party feel less powerful. Um, heck, even if you want to just take a regular game and make it more of a horror game, just apply the advanced template to everything on there, and then suddenly the players are more frightened because uh, the players themselves are more frightened because their characters are in so much more danger. True. Yeah, and that circles back also to not describing things. Of yeah. Don't say you walk into there and then five kobolds jump out. Describe something that's vaguely kobold-like and like throw them for a loop, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, I think part of the reason I like Pathfinder and I like horror and Pathfinder is the agency that I have. But yeah, I, even in, you know, survival horror um, adventure paths like, uh, you know, Strange Aeons or um, Tyrant's Grasp, it might start out where it's pretty terrifying because you don't have anything, right? Like, yeah. you know, both of those start with having no not gear having is a thing. A whole lot. Not having gear is awful, but by the end of the you know first book or however long it takes you to get fully equipped it's like okay this is another adventure it may have the theme of, yeah. of horror but i cannot really be as afraid because i can fight against the you know whatever i'm yeah. up against right the one thing with tyrant's grasp that it does so well um strange aeons does as well also as does carrying crown is giving you a chance to feel like a big heroic it, it gives you that that robert e howard that clark ashton smith mm -hmm. that fantasy horror vibe and then every once in a while, it hits you with a, here's something that is so challenging that you have to really deliver on this. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes out of left field, where it's just, uh, here's a tree that's going to murder you. Um, oh, here's you a go, thing you okay. thought you were going to stop, and you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's still giving you that feeling of powerlessness. And uh, in Pathfinder and other games, they're they're very good at making you feel powerful and, and all the rest of that. But it does require a lot of work i kind of i've described once before um i think in a conversation with ross that pathfinder and all these games as far as horror is concerned feel like the resident evil of horror games yeah resident evil yeah. is a horror game most of them mm. resident evil uh, six say, debatably it's, it's um, long ago five also feeling debatably. like a horror game <laughs> that pathfinder feels like the resident evil 4 of horror games Mm -hmm. Resident Evil 4 is a horror game. There are a lot of horrible things. There are a lot of creepy things. There are some jump scares. There's a lot of like creepy moments and all the rest of that stuff. But generally speaking, you're the dude with a gun that roundhouse kicks people. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're going to suplex people and all the rest of that stuff. And so suddenly it becomes a little less horrifying. It doesn't mean that it's any less fun. Uh, but if you're wanting to get true existential horror, maybe you look elsewhere. And so we actually do have a couple of pieces of advice of looking elsewhere. Jess, I guess if you want to take this first one, I see that you've, I uh, you've added that one on there. Um, so I added, it's called The Witch is Dead. It's a little one page. It's free. Um, I can put the link in the chat. Um, essentially, you're playing the familiars to a witch who was killed by a witch hunter. And the whole purpose of the game is you need to kill that witch hunter because you think finding his eyes and giving them to your, your witch's corpse will bring her back to life. Which doesn't sound super scary. But what could make this game very scary is you are legitimately like a fox. Um, you get one spell that's essentially a cantrip, like a first edition cantrip. Mm -hmm. um, none of them do damage. 
and you have to go and deal with a village and a witch hunter and you are a small cute animal um and so the world becomes very things that are very easy for humans are very difficult for animals and so you get to play with that out of body experience so you can build some of that tension around yeah i mean usually um seeing a spider in your house is super spooky because you don't like spiders but if you are the spider every foot is scary every broom is scary everyone is huge um so there's there's some proportions you get to play with that uh, and also the whole idea of witch hunters and witches lean into a really spooky halloween vibe uh if you tell the story correctly the witch is dead if you'll throw that over uh in the the chat there for uh free uh, i'll try to remember to include that in the show notes here since it is a, a free resource people can go and check out mm-hmm. there's also it's in the name there's also dread mm. Mm. Uh, dread is a very interesting horror ttrpg um that uses a jenga tower um to basically help game. you build the scariest of games to help you build uh tension build suspense as you're build a tower building this tower uh, basically it's a uh, Every action that you take, you or every major action that you take, at the very least, you succeed if you can pull a block down and the tower doesn't fall. And if the tower falls, terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting game, and uh, the setting for it, the kind of the way that it's it's designed is to increase that constant sense of tension, and it really reinforces because uh, it's almost that paradox of. You want to keep taking action, but you know the more actions you take, the more likely you are to eventually experience failure. Mm-hmm. It's also the weird thing that, that Jenga has of your choices can affect other people's ability to make their choices because yes. they everybody is trying to keep the, the tower from falling. Well, on the sound them, of that tower falling. Mm. Oh, and mm. yeah, the, the, the sound of it is, is great. And it's also the like... Not only is something bad happening, I have to rebuild the freaking Gen- Jenga tower. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. But yeah, so Dread is a great option. Um, this one, my next suggestion is a little bit, uh, I personally think of it as horror game. I know a lot of people don't play it that way, but uh, Blades in the Dark. Hmm. Blades in the Dark is about running heists. It's about uh, going in there and, and you know, robbing places or um, any number of other, like, you know, things because you can actually be cultists or assassins or anything else like that you don't have to be a gang of thieves it is however literally set in a world where the sun has died it's literally always dark uh ghosts have flooded the entirety of the world and the only place that you're safe is inside of a city surrounded by electric an electrical fence powered by demon blood hmm, so it is a very dark. dark setting you know it's a steampunk victorian sort of uh, dishonored kind of setting mm. but um it has a lot of that uh um, the setting itself is very dark, is very creepy. Uh, one of the classes is basically playing a, a spiritualist kind of, you know, you speak with ghosts and all the rest of that stuff. There's a, there's an entire industry built around that. With the actual mechanics of the game, the there's the stress and trauma system, which uh, does a great job of building tension itself because every action you take, even the, the lauded flashback system, it's like, okay, well, I can do flashbacks, but that's going to add stress to my character. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to make things more difficult for me to go forward because well, it's kills. another resource that I'm spending that I'm trying to make mm-hmm. work. Um, even the mechanics of the game with its degrees of success are really good at building that, like, tension because they it, they have a mechanic in there that they refer to as a clock um, system. I can't remember the exact wording for it, where whenever something bad starts, you know, the game master goes, okay, well, I'm going to draw this little circle and I'm going to put a little pie slices in there. And uh, yeah, you've got six pie slices until something bad happens. 
So it's mm-hmm. a game that you constantly have running timers on the side for all of these things that are ticking down to potentially happen. Yeah. Um, so it is a game that is very much about building up uh, tension. And even once you finish the score and you get to explore the downtime mechanics, most of the time to recover from things, you're actually exploring vices. Mm. So if you want your horror to be a little bit more existential again, you know, it's this idea of like, I'm not just playing this character that is trying to steal things and going through all these horrible situations, potentially involving ghosts and getting stabbed and all the rest of this. But then to even recover my stats, I have to engage in vices. So mm. it's that idea of like, I made all this money on the score and then I lost it all in a dog race. Um, yep. You know, constantly Which struggling. means I got to do another score. <clears throat> yeah, it just rolls forward. It can constantly provides your character with a reason to keep going and doing things. Yep. Uh, the next one I have on my list is uh, is pretty easy to throw out there. It's the Alien RPG. That makes sense. Having, uh, having read through it, that. it is an RPG that is based on my literally my favorite horror movie of all time. I feel like you die in that one a lot, probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it tends to happen. And uh, it's also very much a game about, like, there you can have the whole paranoia level, um, especially if uh, someone in the group maybe is an android. You don't know. Ah. Uh. You know, if, if they're working for or against you or whatever else it is, um, there's a, a constant stress with it. It actually reminds me, I don't think I listed on here, but there's a game, um, there's a game called Mothership, which I'm not really familiar with that has a very similar vibe um, is very much a, an alien vibe to it uh, but I think there's a solo RPG I'm wanting to say called Thousand Year Light um, that is all about uh, being being in space being on a planet and basically manning the equivalency of a lighthouse um, cool. except for you're the only human on the planet Ooh. oh um, oh. So if you really want that feeling of like complete isolation Oof. and then the mm. whole game is about you exploring this facility uh, and figuring out why was there a job opening here? What happened to the previous people um, that, that were manning this sure. station? <laughs> so uh, definitely check that out as well. I also listed on here Morkborg. Uh, that is a... I've kind of heard it described as being the Dark Souls of TPTRPGs. Um, it is a game where... It's a game where you have to roll a chance of whenever you drink a potion to see whether or not it horribly, like, mutates <laughs> you. Um, it is a oh, terrible, great. terrible game where you're going to go through a whole lot of characters real it's, fast. It's one of those bringing backup characters or maybe three. Yeah. Um, it's also... It's a game based on Scandinavian lore. And for, uh, for people not in the know, there are two, in my personal opinion, I think the top two um, underrated lore mythologies just kind of uh, the people cultures that create horror the top two most underrated are one scandinavians because god are their mythologies and all the rest of that terrifying <laughs> the second is uh is korean horror everyone uh, sleeps on korean horror but mm. korean horror is so good korean horror is so good so yeah if you're looking for something uh something creepy and something with a very i've heard Morkborg described as being nihilistic and i agree it mm. is a very dark, um, you're basically, the moment you start the game, you're on a timer until the world's destroyed, um, until the apocalypse occurs. And maybe you can do something to slow it down. Um, That's not really my, my bag. Yeah. It's it's a game about having a pill and trying to uh, to bail out the bottom of a sinking ship, knowing that eventually you're going to fail. So it's more about telling that telling the story of the individual. Um, what was that other game? I think it would, maybe it was a tabletop game um, that's all about being in uh, it's like an apocalyptic thing uh, where it's like your last winter where you have a community and you're trying to keep them. Um, is it called like Dead of Winter? Anyway, that it's a similar know. game where it's like, yeah, you know that eventually it's not the the end that matters. It's the story that you tell. 
And of course, we'd be remiss if we're talking about uh, best systems for horror if we didn't mention uh, the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. It's a good one. As people well know, I am a fan of uh, of the works of uh, Mr. Lovecraft, even if, again, you know, you're dealing with a the 1920s views on uh, racism. The guy was an a-hole. But his works are very uh, inspirational as far as horror is concerned. And it's mostly based around the Cthulhu mythos and the greater mythos, which includes like the works of Ambrose Bierce, uh, August Derleth, even though I don't like August Derleth either, Robert Block. It is an excellent game, mm-hmm. especially for horror, in large part because, in my personal opinion, what it really nails down is pushing roles. The idea of failing a role and being able to push a role, knowing that yep. if that role fails again, it's going to be very bad, is well, a wonderful luck. mechanic. Spending luck is a great mechanic in there. And um, the my personal, sanity mechanic. Yeah, the sanity mechanic. In my personal opinion, actually, I think one of the best things about it is the way that it handles injuries. Um, every character mm-hmm. is, I would say, fragile, but that's really only in comparison to if you're playing a D20 game. Yeah, you're just, they're just people. You're just a person. So getting hit by a car is really bad. Yeah. You know, I remember there's a, I think it's even in the the demo game, um, the introductory game and all the rest of that stuff where it's just like, oh, well, I was knocked out of a second floor window. And if I'm not just dead, um, (laughs) I'm probably badly injured from that. Mm -hmm. So, and then it has an injury mechanic that you have to carry on continuing. So it's like, yeah, they split my leg, but, you know, we're out here in the middle of the, in the middle of the woods trying to stop a, you know, human sacrifice or something like that. So I've just got to limp along until I can get to a hospital, but it's power yeah, It's through. also a game where you're never quite sure if you want to succeed in any of your roles. <laughs> no, not knowing is the superpower. Sometimes. Funny enough, that is uh, that is one of the things is um, a high intelligence score is great in Call of Cthulhu, uh, except for when you run into horrible monsters, because then mm-hmm. you have to, because if you roll high enough, your character actually understands what he's looking at, which and means you problem. take more sanity damage yep. because you actually understand this yes. isn't right. Yes, I play a very stupid man in my yeah. current Call of Cthulhu <laughs> game. He's just it's so dumb, but sometimes that's okay. It's yeah, good. and again, like it's it's a great system. It's a fun system, um, so I highly suggest that. If you haven't ever played it before, uh, there is a, uh, I believe it's free, quick start demo that actually includes an adventure, and um, I think it has some pre-gen characters that you can just grab. The mechanics are... The mechanics are deep and complicated if you want them to be deep and complicated, but the base mm-hmm. mechanics of it are very simple. Yeah, they're not too bad. There's also a variant of uh, Call of Cthulhu, which is uh, Call of Cthulhu Invictus, which uh, you make mm. characters and uh, play through in ancient Rome. Oh, that's so, interesting. Uh, Lovecraft was a big fan of uh, ancient Rome, and it gets into a little bit of the uh, Lemurian mythos and all the rest of that stuff around uh, Howard. And yeah, it's really good mm. for, for our Robert E. Howard fans. But yeah, I suppose we should run to our uh, Q&A real quick. So uh, um, yeah, do we have any a, questions? We don't have a lot of questions yet, though. Feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, we answered uh, one already. The other one we kind of answered, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. It's from Katrin. Okay. Um, I'm currently jamming a horror-heavy AP, Abomination Vault, for my first full campaign at the helm. I fall nice. somewhere between Jess and Jordan when it comes to horror, and I prefer to build up suspense more than just using gore or body horror. How do you all build and maintain tension and suspense when GMing over VTT? I really struggle with being able to lay the setting uh, without interruption. Thanks. First off, there is a degree of um, if you feel like you're constantly being interrupted. um, Again, going back to the whole communication thing, just talk to your players. Just be like, hey, guys, look, um, funny enough, actually, I don't know if this will help you. But back in the day when we were playing in person, before we even started recording, 
Um, I would do this. I would cross my fingers. I would hold up my hand and I would cross my fingers. I just prop my elbow up on the table. I'd do that over the top of my screen. And everyone knew that if I'm doing this gesture, that means I'm expositing description. Do not interrupt. And everyone was cool with that. Like everyone went, okay, well, we open the door and I do this. And then I'd start launching into a description. I'd be like describing this. Uh, and it, it, I started doing it really because I kind of started teaching um, uh, Jess, Jordan, and Rachel Pathfinder simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I think Ross was in the early. Ross no, was in the first game we did. Uh, well, actually, Ross was in the first game that we did. And then um, I started Legacy of Fire. Mm. And I, I made this gesture and just, I don't even think I ever explained it. I think no. I just started doing this and everyone went, oh, that's Rick's. Hold on, I'm reading the blue text. I'm I'm explaining things. Because I would start doing a description for the room. It's like, okay, so you walk in here, um, and off to the side there's a bunk and there's a you know, there's a foot locker at the bottom of the bunk. And then I'd start to move on to the table and Jordan's like, I want to check that foot locker. And we're like, <laughs> Cool your jets. You're gonna have a chance. There might be more things. You mentioned it first. It must be most important. There might be a monster yeah. in here. Yeah, that's that's the thing Rick does is like he describes the whole room and then yep. tells you about the monster that's in the room that's more important than all that. I, I catch myself doing it because I because I edit also. And so I become very aware of my uh, my tropes. <laughs> and so what I've caught myself doing, it's like you open up a room. The room's maybe about 20 feet across, 15 feet wide. Off towards the left hand side, there are four bunks lined up, stacked up too high. Enough accommodations for eight soldiers. There's a table off towards the side. And, but you only have a second. Yep. To yeah, take all of this yeah. in. <laughs> as so soon as that, you, you only have that, a second, you only like, have a second ah! to take all this in before you notice the shadow peel free from underneath the furthest mm-hmm. bunk, slink mm-hmm. clawing along the floor before it begins. It's that whole thing of like when I describe a room and I'm like, there's massive mounds of treasure everywhere and stalactites hanging from the ceiling and everything else. Um, and also the first thing that you probably notice, which is the 40 foot dragon um, yeah. in the center of the yep. room. <laughs> So, yeah, I would say make maybe make a hand signal that just lets everyone know, don't interrupt me. I tend to keep my game paused at all times unless it's in combat. Just because sometimes if players are, like, moving around the room or something like that, it might reveal something that they don't actually see yet. So as the game master, I tend to move them around and show them what they see. Uh, the last thing that I would maybe offer as a suggestion is having an order in which you call on people. Uh, I think I've mentioned that a couple of times before, but people probably notice that whenever I call for roles or actions, it's Jessica, Jordan, Heather, Rachel, Ross. We used to sit that and way. And that's that, that, that used to be because I would yes. I would call on people in a clockwise rotation from me. And when we started doing VTT, I just kept the exact same rotation because it's easy to figure out what everyone's going to do. Um, if you want to vary it up game by game, you can. But personally, I find it's easier to just because everyone knows where they're going to stand in that order. So, yeah, those would be my, my top suggestions on how to handle being interrupted. And uh, again, as far as building and maintaining uh, tension and suspense, which we kind of cover a little bit earlier as far as the VTT is concerned. Yeah. It, it sounds like the biggest thing that you need to worry about is people being distracted um, and just be polite with them. Just be straightforward with them. Just tell them, hey, look. We're all here. We're all here for the very same reason, which is to get the crap scared out of us. Please let me keep building the tension, building the suspense, uh, making this terrifying. And honestly, I think uh, as far as what Jordan was saying earlier of having control, I think being the person, being the game master that manages where the characters go and what the characters see at any time on the VTT takes a certain amount of that control away from the players and gives it back to you, the game master, which may actually help reinforce that. I don't know what's behind me. The, the one thing also that you do is um, if we say we're going to go open a door, you don't open the door on the VTT and show us what's inside of it. You describe what the room is. Yes. 
And then if there's, if we're like, after you finish the description, you open it and then we see the, the room and that helps us like, for me, that helps me because I'm again, ADHD is mad. Um, not be distracted by what the room looks mm -hmm. like by the visual, uh, yeah. yeah, by the visual of it, and I can I can focus on just the details that you're giving me because like that room has everything in it, right? Like let's say it's it's got you know the the bunks and desks and everything, but what Rick or your GM chooses to actually tell you in the room, like the details that they put in, at least for how Rick does it, that's a clue for us on what's important to actually look at in the room. So uh, yeah, I mean I guess those would be my major suggestions. All right. Next question is from Eagle King. Oh, actually, there's a quick question from the Great Azodian. Uh, what was the name of that lighthouse game again? Uh, yeah, I saw your question and I went ahead and looked it up. It's actually called Thousand Empty Light. Thousand Empty Light. Thousand Empty Light. And I believe it uses the uh, it's a adventure for the Mothership uh, TTRPG. So it uses the rules from the Mothership TTRPG, but it's basically its own separate adventure. I'm pretty sure you can find it on like drive through RPG or anything like that. Mm. All right. Uh, okay, then question from Eagle King. Have any of you given your players homework in the form of movies, books, music, etc. to try and capture the tone or mood you're trying to capture? You would think with all the book suggestions I make that I would give homework. <laughs> but no. Funny enough, actually, um, completely unrelated to uh, to horror. But I guess we're in the Q&A, so we can, we can deviate a little bit from this. Maybe a little teaser, actually, for everyone. You heard it here first. I've been recently kind of looking over uh, Outlaws of Alkenstar. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to run it or not, but I find it very interesting. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what I would want to do if I were going to run Outlaws of Alkenstar? Especially because of this, the city of Alkenstar um, in the Mana Waste is divided into uh, Smokeside. And uh, I think it's the other side is called Skyside. So one area that is like really nice. Uh, and then this one kind of crummy area where all the industrial things goes on. Nice, nice, is, nice. Uh, I would want to get everyone together. And uh, it would take probably about eight hours or so. Um, but do a viewing party and watch through the entirety of the uh, Arcane animated series, the first season. Mm. Because yeah. that entire show, one, excellent, excellent. Uh, it's computer-generated anime. Um, it is very, very steampunk. It's, uh, it's very much about these people from this lower side. It actually shows you both sides because that is also a place where it's, here's all these people living on one side of the river where everything is terrible. And here's mm. everyone on the other side of the river where everything is awesome. Um, and that kind of class disparity there, and it explores like both sides of it. That anime ties into, um, it's a little bit more Victorian steampunk than the weird West that is Outlaws of Alkenstar, but it is so much the feel that that is one of those occasions of like, I would like everyone to sit down and, and watch this hmm. to really get a visual vibe for what the setting is. Hey, I made Heather watch an episode of Oron Host Club in preparation for War for the Crown. I don't know how that's helpful, <laughs> but that's a thing that happened. Yeah, I think historically, though, we haven't said, hey, before we start this AP, everybody needs to go read this book, watch this, listen to this album, anything like that. We really. tend to yeah. have a lot of the we same kinda do that experience. Our, well, we also just we do that ourselves for like character research or like inspiration. So like it's kind of like, you know, War for the Crown. We're all like, OK, we need to go make like, you know, fancy Victorian people. Let's go watch, uh, you know. Pride and Prejudice. Insert, like, yeah, Pride and Prejudice. I was like, insert Jane Austen book, you know. For War for the Crown for inspiration myself, I watched through the entirety of Downton Abbey. I watched every yeah. season. Mm. Actually, it's a really good show. I, I was surprised. I'd always heard it was heard good. I was really surprised good. how good that show was. But yeah, I, I watched the entirety of that just to kind of inspire me. But usually I don't assign any form of homework, especially for things that like 
I kind of felt like the first half of uh, Strange Aeons that I ran, it was almost better that people weren't as first with Lovecraft as I am. 100% better that we weren't, yeah. Because it was it was a lot of like, what is this thing? Um, and it's like, well, you've never read the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadoth, so you'd have no idea what this thing mm-hmm. is. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, night gaunts are creepy, you know, little tickle monsters that try to murder you. Or they're you. friends. Or they're yeah. friends, yeah. Um, in fact, actually, in uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, they're friends more than half the time. So are the ghouls. Um, ghouls are actually pretty nice, <laughs> nice, nice people. But yeah, um, there are a certain there are certain movies that I always like suggest suggest to people. But um, generally speaking, no required viewing. But yeah, I would definitely do that for uh, Outlaws of. If you're going to play Outlaws of Alkenstar, if you're especially if you're going to run it, I would highly suggest watching the Arcane um, series. I think it's on Netflix and. Uh, God, it's so good. I just love the mana waste a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's one of those special plays in my heart plays. I think we only did like one, maybe three sessions yeah. in there ever. Um, if, if I were to run it, I would have to rework a lot of things because they do downplay the uh, the dead magic and wild magic a lot. Oh, but that's the you best part. Those things. That's the best part. I would I would lean it. I would double down. I've, I've watched Jess playing Baldur's Gate three as a uh, wild magic sorcerer or whatever. Oh, chaos! <laughs> it's been. She it's has been so laughing lovely. every time something bad happens to her. I love turning into a sheep. Well, I'll just cast Kona Cold and be a sheep. It's great. Well, and for me, it's it's a lot more of that, like, I love to present players with a challenge that they have to figure out a way around. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so just going, all right, well, yeah, this next section, you're going into a dead magic zone. And it's like, but I'm a wizard. Well, and 2E is interesting figure because it out. <laughs> wizards can do other stuff in 2E. Yeah. You have yeah. other non-spell things that you can do. So it, it kind yeah. of works pretty nicely in 2E. It's like if, you, if you're playing a wizard and you keep finding that you literally can't cast magic because you're in a dead magic zone. Pick up a level Maybe you need to take the fighter archetype next <laughs> yeah, level. Right? There's something. I also love to play on hard mode in Pathfinder because yeah. we've played for so long. It's fun to play on hard mode. I was going to say, I like playing with constraints. I find that very really... like mentally energizing. Yeah. Next time we do a 1E game, I really want to play a monk with the poverty dedication or Vow of Poverty, Vow of Poverty Monk. Vow of po- yeah. That is that the ultimate so hard. hard mode in first edition. So... Um, on the yeah. on the thing with uh, with with homework, um, I'll, I'll use a real world example of why it never works. Um, if anybody's ever given a presentation at work and you've put a Taylor slide deck and you sent it out ahead of time and said, "Hey guys, take a look at this before we have this meeting," zero people will have read it. Zero guaranteed every single time. Don't set yourself yeah. up for upsetness. So, yeah, do you you and you're going to spend the first fifteen to twenty minutes of that meeting catching everybody up on the slides they were supposed to have read but didn't read. Um, mm-hmm. Your players are going to kind of be the same way. They're all busy. They all have their own lives. Also, um, you're playing for fun. It's fun. We're playing for fun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Here's a question. I don't know if I have a good answer for, but uh, Caitlin asks, uh, what are your thoughts on the new 2E classes Exemplar and Animist? I think Exemplar um, was Exemplar honest, the I... one that was like a demigod. Be your own god. Yes. I was going to say, and I'm going to be honest. I haven't like looked this, at these. Animist is like kind of a spiritualist, but not really. I have not yeah. looked deeply into them. I have as well, not tell looked. You. I didn't even know these existed, so I've been. Out uh, I'm I'm aware they exist. Um, I've seen a lot of discussion, all the rest of that stuff on the Reddit. Unfortunately, um, it's it's kind of the weird thing of uh, being as invested as we are in in Pathfinder, running these games, and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, it takes so much of our time to continually run, record, play these games, and such that it's actually kind of a struggle to keep up with everything new coming out for Pathfinder. Especially because right now there's so much coming out from Paizo yeah. with like the remasters of Starfinder and Pathfinder and new classes. Like, I am ready to play a Kasatha Solarian in Pathfinder 2E. I mean, 
Assuming Rick will let you play that. <laughs> no, I never. But I am ready to see if it can happen. I would be. I do remember looking it. over um, the exemplar and thinking to myself, "This just further reinforces if I were if I were to homebrew, if I were to go completely off and do my own game." Uh, and I don't mean a homebrew setting. I mean homebrew like an adventure path or an adventure. Exemplar characters playing in Iblios. Yes. Uh, where you're almost oh, like Grecian yeah. demigods. Yeah, it's oh, like Hercules. Oh, that would be and... so much mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Mm. If we mm. do that, I want to play a Gorgon, like an actual Gorgon, like Medusa, not a Medusa. That's I hate Pathfinder yeah. for that. Because I love them, and that's what I... <laughs> I am having an attack. She has a very Jessica's having a very Man, disruptive kitty say, today. Dora is really causing some chaos. This, this she's stream. upset. Yeah, because I remember having a thought before, um, and I would really need to look over the exemplar. Talking about playing with constraints, I like the mechanics that Second Edition has for low magic, and by that I mean um, few magic items. It, it's okay, kind of like everybody plays Medusa, poverty monks. You're a very no. powerful individual. You just don't have a lot of magic stuff boosting you. How dare you? I want to talk about Medusas. So here's what makes them cool. Here's why it would be a cool character for an exemplar. Fine, don't engage with me. I'm not going to. You get this. <laughs> I, step, I step away for one second and I can't these are, mediate these are the you things two. That get cut from the episode, y'all. <laughs> anyway, here's why it's cool, right? Because Medusa's whole deal is that Poseidon was real crappy to her and therefore Athena was real crappy to her because of something that Poseidon did. So you get to be an exemplar of a deity that you actually don't really like, right? So then you have this kind of mm. cool um, love-hate kind of relationship. Kratos vibe. Yeah, a little Kratos, yeah. Yeah, a little Kratos thrown in there. Also, you have snake hair, which is cool. Valve Poverty Monks are also neat. Maybe you could be a Valve <laughs> Poverty Monk and also a Medusa. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, what I was going to say is basically just having everyone go in, <laughs> making these, uh, these low uh, treasure, giving everyone a single magic item. Um, at character creation. So it's like you're either playing your all exemplars, maybe um, do something like give use the free archetype mechanics oh, yeah, and yeah. give everyone the exemplar oh, yeah. archetype and you're able to take a little bit of that for your demigodness. Uh, and then because of the low magic rules, your character is actually like physically stronger and better um, mm. than everyone else. You just get less treasure, uh, which is actually less bookkeeping. True. Um, and then you get yeah. one cool magic item that automatically upgrades as you level. So it's one person has a cloak of invisibility. Like one person has a pair of winged boots. One person has this awesome sword. One person has this amazing shield. This um, feels very everyone... Percy Jackson as you're describing it, right? Well, or uh, my brain immediately goes to the D&D Saturday morning cartoon. Where it's like yeah. everyone had yeah. one cool magic item that they're like, man, this magic item's awesome. That's pretty but cool. We should that... play this game. Yeah, but it is that idea of like, um, it's that almost that Grecian hero thing where it's just like, here's this dude going over there to kill the Medusa or whatever it is that it's like, here's this one awesome mirror shield. Here's this guy he's got the uh what is it the ring of gaigis it's like here's a ring that turns you invisible mm. you mean frodo <laughs> i say again say the same thing because i mean you say ring of invisibility it just makes me think of lord of the rings i want yeah. to say it was called the ring of gaigis but i want to say it was more of a philosophical thing of uh the idea that invisibility cannot be a good power oh interesting that invisibility can only really be used for evil Huh. Um, and the, the the concept behind it was if a person was free of all repercussions for their actions how soon before they completely corrupted? Oh, that gets uh, into the whole is yeah. man inherently good or evil debate yeah, that's been yeah. happening for millennia. Yeah, and it, it kind of gets into another short story um, suggestion, The Invisible Man. Um, We're if going you for the record. If you have not read it, mm. that one is amazing. Not to be confused with Invisible Man by Ray Fellows, no. which is also amazing, no. but very different. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very different. We'll begin with a reign of terror. <laughs> uh, any further questions? I 
don't see any additional questions. Okay. Well, then I suppose we should just go ahead and wrap things up. Um, I hope I've maybe given some people some food for thought. So uh, honestly, I, that's that's been a concept I've had in the back of my brain for a long time of like, this would be an amazing story to run. Because I, I just love ancient history. I love old world history. I love reading about the Greeks Indeed. and the Romans and the Assyrians and the Hittites and all the rest of that stuff. Like I've always found that period of history so intriguing. That's why Assassin's yeah. Creed Odyssey was so good. True. Is, yeah. Assassin's like, the Creed Odyssey was really good. so strong. Took Latin in high school, so I learned a lot about ancient Rome. So oh, I, yeah, it, same. I'm game. Same. Yeah, I've got like books over here on uh, on all the ancient world stuff and everything else. So uh, could do a lot of fun stuff with that. Maybe I'll I'll delve into and develop that a little bit. If that's something you guys are interested, maybe go on the, the Discord and uh, you heard it here and uh, and do some chat about that. Um, I need to be. I'm behind on putting out digital content. So maybe if that's something people would be interested on, digital content of doing a little dive into uh, Iblios, or maybe I can poke Luis and be like, hey, hey, once you're done doing uh, all this awesome stuff that you know we're doing over here with Arcadia. Arcadia, um, Iblios feels a little, a little neglected. <laughs> yeah, right. Like let us, like let us play here. So uh, a couple of announcements, real quick. I uh, was just going to throw out there. Uh, first off, for those of you uh, not in the know, um, it has been a month now, but uh, Tyrant's Grasp is a weekly show now. So um, if you do like horror, if you do like survival horror, if you want an example of many of the things that I've been talking about as far as uh, incorporating horror elements into your games is concerned. Feel free to go over there. Uh, $1 will get you the first 12 episodes if you wanted just a, a little sampler, as you will. Uh, and then you can, of course, crank it up to uh, the $5 tier, at which point you gain access to, uh, I think we just recorded, I think uh, episode 113 is coming out, but I think we just recorded 115. 114, um, yeah. Mm. Or 115, and, yeah, something mm, like that. Mm, so good. Good stuff. There's Fun good little twists happening. in there. Lots it of really is, neat stuff. It is a very good adventure path and very, like, it does a really good job at keeping you on your toes. I'll just say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it, does keep, it keeps me guessing in really good ways. It was a dark and stormy adventure path. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go and check that out. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we are going to be releasing uh, rather shortly the first, um, well, I say rather shortly. I believe currently the plan is uh, in December, just in time for the holidays. If you've, um, got, a, if you've got a holiday trip uh, to go on, uh, we are going to be releasing um, the continuation of the Tales from Dark Moon Vale. Mm -hmm. So if you it has have been uh, a long time coming, it is probably one of the most requested things yeah. that we get back to is Dark Moon Vale. And it's here finally. Yeah, it's got a little dabbling of horror in there as well. So uh, that'll true. be that'll definitely be fun. But yeah, so that will be out in time for the holidays. So if you've got a long holiday flight or trip or you're going to be stuck in an airport or something like that and you need hours and hours and hours of entertainment, depending on uh, where you go or what you do for whatever holiday that you celebrate just in time. Just in time, uh, it's always Dark Moon year. Vale somewhere. You too can it's avoid true. your family members by listening to podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> avoid those awkward family conversations yes. with Find the Path. But yeah, I did want to take an opportunity, as we so often do, to of course take a uh, to thank our patrons. Uh, mm -hmm. It is because of all of you that we can continue doing what we're doing. That we have this uh, this amazing after party show, the after party live where we can come on here and talk because I do miss talking about the games so much. Uh, if you have advice and all the rest of that stuff. Um, Again, there's a part of me that wants to be able to get back to some sort of format where we talk a little bit more about like what's actually going on in the individual um, feeds. Yes. The challenge mm. there is, uh, you know, I would almost want to do it as we're talking about all of them at once, but I don't know how many people are actually caught up on all three feeds simultaneously. It's a pretty Herculean effort at this point. Yeah, well, if you it's segmented a bit of a it, yeah. you could be like, you know, we always like, talk about this right, show, that show, that show. Turn it off now. 
<laughs> and then put in the notes like which time stamp the each thing starts. But yeah, like, you know, there was a recent um, in Tyrant's Grass, there was a recent My haunting God. incident that I was just like, oh, it'd be really nice to get into that. But we don't really have time for this or get into the backstory of this cool monster that just fought the party. And we're like accusing you guys paranoidly of trying to assassinate him and um, yeah. or, you know, getting into some of the more like intricate details and all the rest of that stuff for what's going on at the War for the Crown or um, in Hell's Rebels with some of the backstory for like, who's this dude? We just found a skeleton. Um, what's going on with this guy? So I do miss being able to have those conversations, and it's something I would like to kind of explore, but uh, might be something that we can eventually do um, as far as things are concerned. And that, in large part, is just uh, based on the amount of time that we can allocate is, of course, based on the amount of funds that come into the show. Um, we are all busy people with uh, with jobs to do, and so uh, it is thanks to our patron that we're patrons that we're able to do these other projects. And, and uh, Tyrant's Craft is Weekly was one of our stretch goals. It's true. Um, yeah. And for, uh, Hell's Rebels pod. being Weekly is one that we're still steadily creep, creep, creeping up on. So, yeah, thank you all to our patrons for your continued patronage, your continued support. You guys are amazing. And as I said earlier, if you want to get a little sample of what is going on over there, uh, check it out for just the $1 tier. And, yeah, I think that's really it. So I hope you all have enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoy the rest of your spooky season. Uh, have some good fun plans. Maybe all, maybe everyone just shows up in uh, in costume and all the rest of that stuff for your upcoming Halloween game. Uh, enjoy a little uh, last second uh, kitty uh, over there with yes, Jessica. Yes, this is the Wiggly Kitty. And until next time, good luck, Path Folk. Bye, yeah, Path Folk. Stop fighting me. Monstrous cat. She's been so bad. She was bad. Did you lock her in there with you? Well, I shut the door. I didn't realize she was in here. Oh, she was trapped. And she was being so good, and then she was not. Yep. You should cut a hole in the door. Apparently.